Oh, Kyle, you know what I've realized in the time that we've been doing these episodes? Uh, Is it the answer to the universe? I mean, it could be. I don't know what the question is, so. I'm excited then. (laughs) No, what I've realized is that it's actually more nerve-wracking starting this recording when you're not the one preparing the word, because I just have no idea what's about to happen. But, like, that should be the fun part, because, like, you get to go in and say what... You get literally get a free license to say whatever vile... (laughs) <laughs> hatred infused uh language you've got hey, to spew emily right. literally <laughs> let me dive into it right now <laughs> welcome to butter no parsnips every week on butter no parsnips your hosts kyle imperator and emily moyers take you on an adventure through the weird wacky wonderful and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. What's up, Welcome, everybody, everybody, to our next episode of Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips. I'm Emily. I'm Kyle. Loaded up on energy cheesecake. That's right. Kyle had a protein cheesecake before he got here. (laughs) Yeah. You know, as one does before they hit the gym. That's right. So and Kyle, Jim's my neighbor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sidestep any jokes about hitting Jim. Um, <laughs> Kyle, do you have a word? Because I, as stated, have nothing. Emily, I have a word for you. <gasps> what a relief! Your word today is soigné. What? Hmm. Swanye. Swanye, spelled S O I G N E with an acute accent. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> boy, oh boy, oh boy. Swanye. Swanye. So I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that the language of origin is Japanese. <gasps> no, it's French. Gotta be. Oui, mesdames. <laughs> so soigné what part of speech is it it is an adjective so something can be soigné correct and this is used in english it is used in english yes correct okay <laughs> if you say so you better spend the next 30 minutes proving that to me or else <laughs> i'm gonna give you a thumbs down at the end of the episode that's right okay okay so if something is soigné it is just mm. so you would say like a place is soigné, meaning uh-huh. it is rife with swans. Uh, yeah, Emily. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So, like, what kind of place would be rife with swans, Emily? A park or a beach? The beach? They, Not like an ocean on vacation, beach, like, a, like a lake beach. <laughs> like a lake? Okay, a lake beach. <laughs> Emily, you are far from the truth, yeah, but I'll that makes give you sense. I'll give you the fact that it can uh be associated with places. That is oh. one of the ways that it can be used. I will concede, Kyle. Tell me what what does it mean to be soigné? Emily, soigné means dressed, maintained or designed with great care and elegance, well-groomed, polished, sleek. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't mean to get ahead of you, but does it have get to do with swans? It has absolutely nothing to do with swans, Emily. <laughs> but, listen, that's a good guess. 
<laughs> it tracked in my head. <laughs> I would imagine that the word for swan is not swan in French. No, it's probably, probably something some closer to Cygnus. Literally what I was thinking, Emily. We're on the same well, French page. Well, I cut page. you off so that I sounded smarter. <laughs> you are the smarter one here. Um, so finish the episode, Emily, huh? Go for it. Oh, no. <laughs> no. So, Emily, here's an example of soigner being used in a sentence, just to kind of get you familiar with how the word is used. So this is from a 1927 book by A.E.W. Mason called No Other Tiger. The sentence reads, As she stood in that flood of radiance, soigner polished from head to foot, joyous at her ease, she seemed to combine the luxury of an orchid with the health of a rose. Oh, I like this word. It's a very fancy word. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. <laughs> so, Emily. Yeah. Swanye. Tell came me about to it. English in the year 1812. It's 1812. More recent than some of the words we've been covering lately. Yeah, but that is interesting. I feel like we've had a lot of words that like came from French around like the 16, 17, 1800s. Well, when was the Norman Conquest again? Didn't that was, we talk about that? About 600 years earlier. Right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> and there was a guy, Norman D. Rockefeller, right? That he was came Norman around. D. Rockefeller. You got a Kyle. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe, like, relations between the English and the French grew better around that time. Sure. I that makes sense. Probably not. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, we're going to get into a little bit of their relations today. All right. I'm excited. So Swanye can also be pronounced with the emphasis on the swan part. It can be Swanye, and that's how it's pronounced in French. And it's borrowed from Swanye, which means carefully made or well-produced or meticulous of work. But it can also mean immaculate of clothes or well-manicured of nails. So it's basically the same definition. Sure. But in French, they've got the accent on the E, Swanye. but that's not the stressed syllable. No, no it's Swanye. This is me doing a perfect imitation of uh, Google. Swanye. Wow. Uh, yeah. If you were going for Google, that was pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah. So Swanye comes from the past participle of the French word Swanye. S-O-I-G-N-E-R, which means to take care of. And ah. that's derived from soin and the old French soin. That's S-O-I-N and S-O-I-N-G in mm-hmm. that order. And those both mean just care. So it's, you know, carefully made or well cared for is kind of what the word means. The word also has a feminine form, which is interesting. Most English words don't necessarily have feminine forms, especially French words do. But most French words do. And we use the French feminine in English, which is (laughs) soigné. And it just adds an extra E at the end. So when in English do we use the feminine form as opposed to the masculine? Is it just when applied to a woman or a man? Yes. Correct. Wow. Or, I mean, I guess by the judgment of the author or the person who's writing, because you can, like, if you're talking about inanimate objects, like, you could refer right. to them as he or she or, you know, whatever. Huh. That is interesting. I would say soigné, the feminine form, is used mostly when talking about sexy ladies. <laughs> we, I, don't, I don't have many of those accounts here, but there's a lot of romance novels that use the word soigné sure. in the feminine form. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so, soigné seems to be a high society word, and it's full of intrigue, Emily. Oh. It's used by a lot of upper class peoples, and I've I've seen it used in the, a lot of their first-hand accounts. So, I found it r- used in letters by a lot of upper class peoples. The first person that we're going to talk about is a man named Frederick 
Hamilton Templeton Blackwood, first Marquess of Dufferin <gasps> and Ava. Wow. Yeah. First Marquess. Frederick Hamilton Templeton Blackwood. He's got a triple a, last name. Triple barreled surname, they call that. Triple barreled surname. He's yes. coming guns a blazing. <laughs> so this wealthy dude was born into extreme wealth in the Grand Duchy of Tuscany in 1826. And at the age of 23, he was appointed a lord in waiting to Queen Victoria, of all people. A lord in wait. I didn't know there were lords in waiting. Me either, but I guess he was just sitting around and Queen Victoria was like, well, you're waiting, so I guess you're one of mine now. I don't know why she's Canadian. <laughs> she was just walking through her foyer one day and yeah. saw him waiting and was like, yeah. you must be for me. <laughs> Here is my lord in waiting today. He's like, what? Oh, I was just waiting to use the phone. Uh, the phone? It's 1826, Emily. Yeah, yeah. But didn't they have like super early telephones? Yeah, like screaming out a window, I think. <laughs> anyway, clearly with nothing else on his plate, in 1856, Lord Dufferin commissioned a schooner named Foam and traveled to Iceland writing letters on his journey. As you do. As you do, you know. As one does. When, when, you're, when you're sitting around waiting as a lord, That's like, right. oh, I guess I might as I could go down to Iceland now. That might seem like a nice day. Yeah. So he did this. And when he returned, he compiled all the letters that he wrote into a book that was called Letters from High Latitudes. And that book is seen today as the prototype for the comic travelogue. Oh. Which is an interesting little little ditty. Yeah. I've got a quote here from that book. He spent much of his time in the wilderness in Iceland. Boy. So this little moment is when he like finds somebody to stay with and he's so excited about it. <laughs> that he gets so to be indoors. <laughs> yeah, that he literally that it gets to be indoors. So he says about six o'clock, like a phantom in a dream, the little schooner came stealing round the misty headland and anchored at the foot of the rocks below. The appearance of the inside of the house quite corresponded with what we had anticipated from the soigne air of everything about its exterior. Oh. Books, maps, pictures, a number of astronomical instruments, geological specimens, and a magnificent assortment of fishing rods betrayed the habits of the practical, well-educated, business-loving English gentleman who inhabited it. And as he showed me the various articles of interest in his study, most heartily did I congratulate myself on the lucky chance which had brought me into contact with so desirable an acquaintance. <laughs> I love a magnificent array of fishing rods. <laughs> of fishing rods. I mean, it's Iceland. What else do they do out there? I mean, yeah, I guess uh, either fish or scale volcanoes. <laughs> yes, actually, I believe that is one of the things that Lord Dufferin did on his journey. <laughs> yes, Iceland is full of them, yeah, I think. Pretty sure. We're cultured. So uh, speaking of volcanoes, Emily... Yeah. And your knowledge of Iceland. Yeah, uh, also featured knowledge. your extensive knowledge. And who's the president of Iceland again? Uh, 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 you know, Iceland oh, wow. actually really... doesn't have a president. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, they're actually ruled by um, a culinary based form of government ruled by oh, yeah, the yeah, Swedish yeah. chef. Oh, OK. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And what's your what's your tasteful impersonation of the head of Iceland there? <laughs> I mean, I, I think a tasteful impersonation of a Swedish chef is an oxymoron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair, fair. So while Lord Dufferin was on his trip, he visited Iceland's great 
Geysir, which is their geyser. That's where we get the word geyser from. Oh. And while he was visiting it, Prince Napoleon Bonaparte, that's Napoleon <gasps> I's younger brother, kind of just rode up on horseback and was like, hey, cool geyser, want to come to dinner? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so he did. He went to dinner with Prince Napoleon. Wow. Does Prince Napoleon look exactly the same, but he has his other arm in his jacket? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like really tall and thin. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. I don't have it here, but he says in his travelogue that he's like, as soon as I saw the Prince Napoleon, I should have at once recognized it as him for he looks just like his brother. I, I mean, sure. Yeah, But he does have a remark on the dinner, which I'd like to tell you about, Emily. He says, though, of course, a little barmicidal, the (gasps) dinner went off very well, as every dinner must do where such merry companions are the convives. Wow. For anyone wondering what barmicidal means, go listen to our Patreon podcast, Buttered Parsnips. (laughs) Yeah. You'll get the inside scoop. Wow. That's fun. I've never seen it used in other contexts. Well, there you go, Emily. You got Lord <laughs> Dufferin on your side. Oh, amazing. Wow. So he was a, he was a little stingy with the food, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess, right? I don't but know. But he's Prince Napoleon. <laughs> well, I think it's because they were both in the middle of nowhere in Iceland. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. You know, <laughs> like well out of the bounds of yeah. their own country. We've got fish and um, volcanic rocks. <laughs> and uh, more oh, fish. the lava cake is delicious <laughs> yeah real lava yeah so that dinner must have gone very well because the prince followed up by offering him a ride to Greenland on the prince's luxury yacht Reine Hortense and he accepted although reluctantly because he really wanted to explore Iceland more but he was like how do I pass this up it's tough to say no to Prince Napoleon yeah to the prince Despite the popularity of that book, Dufferin decided not to become an author, but instead he went on to become an English diplomat. Amongst the positions that he held, he was Governor General of Canada, Ambassador to Imperial Russia and the Ottoman Empire, and Viceroy of India. Uh, wow. Just a yeah. fan of uh, travel, that guy. Truly. Yeah, he was a, he was a high society figure. He was soigné through and through, Emily. <laughs> through and through. To a T. To a T. I've got another set of letters here from a woman named Mary Alsop King Waddington. These are some great names. <laughs> great names. Oh, my God. It gets it gets even better, Emily. You're going to love these. She was an American who married the French diplomat William Henry Waddington in 1874. As Monsieur Waddington is known as being, he was a transitional prime minister for France in 1879. It was like less than a year just between like the party rules. But then he became the French ambassador to London from 1883 to 1900. And it was over that period of time that Mary wrote her letters. Like Lord Dufferin, Mary dined on her outings. Of one such evening, she remarked, we dined with Mr. Henry Peter, one of the most soigné dinners in London. It is always pleasant at his house. They say it is because he is a bachelor, which is not very flattering to us, but I think it is true. I don't know why. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know, Emily, but I just love that she felt moved to write about that. <laughs> why is the fact that he's a bachelor an insult to them? <laughs> what? I, don't, I think it's like, 
the fact that he's a bachelor is like, oh, he's a single man, you know? And she's like, you know, oh, it, that doesn't affect me that way, that he's a single man, but I still like his parties. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess high society life is full of weird, meaningless rules. So full of weird, meaningless rules and strange meetups. Yes. This is a very interesting situation. This next, she has another dinner that she talks about, but this one requires a little bit of historical background, Emily. Oh. So 1859, place it. We're in 1859, right. Emily. <laughs> it's the second, <laughs> we got the second French empire. All right. Under okay. the rule of Napoleon the third. That's Napoleon the first's nephew. Okay. Okay. All right. They partnered with the kingdom of Sardinia and went to war with the Austrian Empire. Bombs go off in the distance. We hear gunfire. Oh my god. People screaming in French and Austrian. <laughs> so dramatic. I was what ready. was the name of that war, Emily? Oh wow. This comes with a pop quiz? Yeah, go for it. Is it one of the like something years war? No, it's not. But that's oh. a good guess. I didn't know the name of the I mean I I it's it's very on the nose. The French Austrian War? Yeah, Franco-Austrian War. Franco-Austrian yeah, 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 yeah. War. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, it's also known as the Second Italian War of Independence for those Italians out there who might. Oh, because Sardinia was in there. Yeah, because because yeah, French uh, worked with Sardinia to try and get the Austrians out of there. Gotcha. I was like, what so, do Italians have to do with this? <laughs> what do the Italians have to? They are always getting their little fingers into whatever pots of going on there. Yeah. Um, so the French army won that war with some decisive victories, such as uh, the Battle of Magenta, which was led by the general. Which Patrice, was led by Magenta, the cartoon character. <laughs> which was led by Magenta from Blue's Clues. No, that army was led by Patrice de Macmont. Oh. And he earned the title Maréchal de France, the Marshal of France, wow. for winning that battle. So our friend from earlier, Emily, Prince Napoleon, remember him? <laughs> yeah, I remember. Which Napoleon are we talking about? <laughs> the prince, his youngest brother, Napoleon okay. I's youngest brother. He was one of the corps leaders in the army as well. There was five corps in the army. I think he led the fifth one. Okay. But he's most remembered for being absent from the battle that ended the war, which was the Battle of Solferino. And he earned the nickname Client Plon, or Afraid to Lead. <laughs> so basically, Honestly, basically, he's called Scaredy Cat. I, you know, I feel you, man. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Responsibility is terrifying. Yeah. He's so, probably in Iceland. <laughs> he's probably, he ran away to Iceland to have a barmicide feast. <laughs> <laughs> so years later, Emily, uh -huh. we're now in 1883. This is 20 or so years after Fast forward, that war. play the Fast time forward. speed up sound. Perfect. That's, that's the sound. Yeah, absolutely. The Waddingtons were invited <laughs> to a French reception of the Archduke and Archduchess Albert of Austria. Oh. So about, about the dinner, Mary states, It was when the Archduke was dining at the Elysee one night with Maréchal Macmont that such a funny contretemps occurred. Their dinners were always very good and soigné, but evidently they had not thought about the names of the dishes. And when we were well on with the dinner, we suddenly realized that something was wrong. My neighbor said to me, look at your menu. And what did I see? Glace à la magenta. Gatto Sofrino, and I forget the third thing. <laughs> All battles where the Austrians had been beaten. Oh, no. 
I spoke to one of the household about it afterwards, who said, J'ai froid dans le dos en passant à ce que le maréchal me dire. Which means, I feel shivers down my spine, thinking what the marshal will say to me. Oh my god. <laughs> For such a faux pas of naming the dishes after the battles. Oh my god. But I mean, do you think it was maybe purposeful that he was like, trying to goad... The Austrians. So I thought that for a while, and it still might be true, but she says something immediately after that to, to the effect of making it seem like, like clearly it was a mistake and like all of his subordinates are going to get in trouble. She said something about the Maréchal having a temper and choice words for his house staff. Gotcha. Like it was, it was more on the staff just as a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Or wow. maybe somebody did do it on purpose and it just slipped through. An angry chef. An angry Swedish chef. The Swedish chef. It was it was all him. He was the culprit. <laughs> the first time we saw Swanye uh, used in English was, as I said earlier, in the year 1812. It was in a letter from the author Maria Edgeworth to her family. Edgeworth was the most popular living novelist in England in the early 1800s. Wow. Yeah, she was very popular. But we're going to talk about a letter today, and, and her. she wrote a lot of letters over her life. Well, sure. As you so aggressively pointed out, they did not have a telephone. They did not have a telephone, <laughs> so they could, not, they could either, one, scream yeah. bloody murder out their window, <laughs> or write a letter. And sometimes their voices were just too, you know... Yes. <laughs> it wasn't Swanye to scream. That's right. So her letters gave us great insight into high society of the time, which at the, in the early 1800s, high society was called the ton. Or if you remember from Tantivy, oh. Emily, Le Bon Ton. Le Bon Ton. Le Bon Ton. I do remember that. So in one of the letters to her family, Edgeworth reminds them of a Lady Bespereau by recalling the time that Lady Bespereau introduced Maria at an event. And she introduced her as such. If you can get over her voice and her manner, you will find her very amusing. What? She said that about Maria. <laughs> like to introduce her, her at a party. <laughs> Literally in front of her. <laughs> like as a joke. Like surprisingly cool to be around. Yeah, yeah. So Maria refers to Lady Bespro as one of those who say everything that comes into their head. Yeah. And she tells this story of how Lady Bespro responded when she was told that the end of her frill had come unpinned. She said that Bespro says, Which would become me best, do you think, to pin or not to pin it? I think rather not to pin. It looks less soigné, but then I may lose the frill. And then she was asked if she just needed a pin, and she responded, Oh no, I have a pin, and what you won't believe, a pin cushion. And Maria says, Out it came from behind to the astonishment and uplifted hands of Lady Georgiana, and politely expressed surprise of Lady Bathurst. The flattest illegible word of a pincushion that could hold only one pin abreast. <laughs> we don't know what that word is in there, but whatever it is, is magnificent. Oh, so illegible meaning there's a missing word. Missing word. I yeah. thought I thought she described the pincushion as <laughs> illegible. Illegible word. Like, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so she was like basically was just sitting on it. <laughs> so Emily I want to finish out this episode by talking to you about this woman, all right? Henrietta Ponsonby, Countess Ponsonby. of Bessborough, 
goes by Harriet. That's her nickname. Countess of Bessborough? Yeah. So when they're called Lady something, oh, like sure. earlier, we're talking about Frederick Templeton Hamilton Blackwood. He goes by Lord Dufferin because he was the Marquess of Dufferin. Of D- right, 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 right. Yeah. That makes sense. This woman could have been this entire episode, but then we wouldn't have <laughs> talked at all about Swanier. But I have to talk about her. Like, I have, if I don't, I'll explode. Heavily. I mean, you've got this character accent down, so. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so her Wikipedia biography reads like a TMZ article. It's so funny. And most of this is going to be just me paraphrasing that article, but you're going to love it. Okay. I'm so excited. Her husband, Frederick Ponsonby, 3rd Earl of Bessborough, went by the name Viscount Duncannon. This man was a nightmare, Emily. Oh, good. This is a direct quote from the Wikipedia article. Ready? Fluctuating between sweet or obsessive attentiveness, neglecting Harriet entirely or physically abusing her, Duncannon's abuse of his wife was so public, his family could not keep up appearances by pretending it was not occurring. Yikes, McGikes. Yikes. This is... A bad dude and a, a bad crazy man. family, Emily. Oh, no. Just like any of the upper class that we ex- see today, <laughs> there's <laughs> family intrigue. God, of the worst sort. So speaking of the worst sort, the two Bessboroughs became gambling addicts Come. and accrued much debt. God. And Duncannon would fly into fits of violent rage whenever he lost. Yikes. And so because of her home life, Harriet had so many affairs. Oh, so many affairs. Yeah. Emily, she had so many affairs that she remarked this, I can never love anyone just a little. <laughs> is what she said about her affairs. I can't help it. I just go in all the way. That's I'm it. I'm in all the way. <laughs> One of her lovers was a man named William Lamb, who was 18 years her junior. Oh, And he would go on to become Prime Minister of England one day. Crazy. But he fell in love and married her daughter, Caroline, even though she she kind of objected because she hated William's mother and referred to her as the thorn. (laughs) But Emily, the most famous of Lady Bessborough's lovers was the playwright Richard Brinsley Sheridan. The Viscount Duncannon at one point walked in on Sheridan and Lady Bessborough having sex. Uh-oh. It was such a messy affair that the two had. And oh, when no. he did this, he threatened divorce, which, as you might know, spells the end for a lady in sure. the 1800s. Yeah, does not end well. The divorce was called off because Duncannon's father sided with Harriet so and funny. was like, no, you've treated this lady so awful. She's such a gem. So reasonable. Don't do this to her. For her to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it might be okay to say oh. towards the end of his life, he, he calmed down Duncanon and stopped being abusive. And the two actually got along really well and had a, a little bit of a happy relationship. Oh, I almost like that less, but yeah, sure. <laughs> but we've got more to say about Sheridan, about, about Sheridan. Sheridan. Yeah, Richard, Br- the oh playwright that she had an affair with. Yeah. So, so Harriet and Sheridan, the two had two children out of wedlock, which she was somehow able to hide from Duncanon. <laughs> and although she loved Sheridan with extreme passion, I think she said that she loved him to idolatry for 17 years, is wow. one of the quotes. She eventually married him off to her niece, Lady Harriet Cavendish. Boy, he is just all up in this family. <laughs> Sheridan 
was not a great guy either. Yeah. Lady Bessborough really couldn't have couldn't pick her men. Oh, um, no. <laughs> but but Harriet was one of Sheridan's last friends. But as things got worse for him, things got worse for her. So towards the end of his life, he started harassing her by sending threatening anonymous letters. Oh my god. Which she clearly knew it was him because every thing was handwritten back then and she was his lover for 17 years sure so, so of she, course she could recognize his handwriting she absolutely knows his handwriting because they didn't have telephones because they did not have telephones <laughs> for all those of you out there who thought that oh i don't know maybe there's some people out there with like a motorola clip phone <laughs> no they did not have telephones <laughs> He also started accosting her in public for not loving him back as much as he loved her. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah, it's the classic, you know, guy loves girl, girl loves guy, guy makes girl's life a living nightmare. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't we love those? Isn't that just like the best part of every romantic <laughs> Coming to film? to the Hallmark Channel this Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's basically the notebook, but with more abuse. Yeah, <laughs> and don't we all agree that's what the notebook needs? <laughs> So the last thing about these two, she visited him at his deathbed, and this scene occurred, Emily. This is a firsthand... <laughs> she, she visited him at his deathbed to say, thank God. <laughs> Actually, she was told not to tell him that he was dying, which is a crazy thing. So, so he thought it was a normal bed that all my loved ones are coming to visit me at? <laughs> he clearly knew he was dying, and you'll see why, Emily. <laughs> She visited him on his deathbed. This scene occurred. He asked what she thought of his looks. She said his eyes were brilliant still. He then made some frightful answer about their being fixed for eternity. Oh. He took her hand and gripped it hard. Then he told her that he gave her that token to assure her that, if possible, he would come to her after he was dead. Oh. Lady Bessborough was frightened, as one would be, yeah. and said that he had persecuted her all his life and would now carry his persecution into death. Why should he do so? <gasps> because, said Sheridan, I am resolved you shall remember me. Ooh. He said more frightful things, and she withdrew in great terror. Bad, bad man. And uh, that is the terrifying end of a Swanye couple, Emily. Wow. I mean, it seems like they were anything but Swanye, but... Well, like, maybe Swanye to the public, but not to the outside. <laughs> I mean, to the inside. Yeah, a TMZ magazine indeed. Uh, Emily, to wrap things up. Yeah. Having learned all that you have about the word Swanye. Yeah, I've learned so much. Could you use it in a sentence? Ooh, could I ever... After spending their whole lives writing letters to each other, the invention of the telephone must have seemed so <laughs> soigné. <laughs> I don't know if that's using the word so exactly right. the answer right, is but... no. Emily can't use the word in a sentence. <laughs> but she darn well tried. <laughs> well, you could say you could say in high society homes they might have a soigné telephone. Yes. Absolutely, Emily. That's the one that we're going to put on the cover of this. Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> Emily. Kyle. Want to play a little game? <gasps> we get to play a game? We get to play a game. Of course we get to play a game. Nice. In honor of the celebrity intrigue that we've talked about today. Yeah. This game's called Kim and Swanye. <laughs> oh, Kyle. <laughs> You're a little funny, man. This game's kind of like a little bit of six degrees of separation with our new friends that we learned about. Okay. So... 
basically, I'm going to describe to you how one of the people that we talked about today is related to an even more famous person in history. Oh. And I'll give you like a general detail and give you more specific hints until you guess the person. Okay. okay. All right. So this first famous person is Lady Bespero's great, great, great grandniece. Grandniece. So came after her. She was a member of British royalty. Okay. She was very popular during her time. Is it um, Diana? Wow, Emily. I didn't even have to give you the last two hints. <gasps> I got yes, it. Yes. It's Lady Diana. Wow. Was Lady Bespero's great, great, great grandniece. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So Harriet's father was John Spencer, first Earl of Spencer. Diana Spencer's father was John Spencer, eighth Earl of Spencer. And you can do the math from there. Sure. Is that interesting? That is interesting. That's fun. I find it fun that the correlation between Lady Bespero and Lady Diana's messy marriages, I sure. guess, and, and affairs. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this next person is Lord Dufferin. You remember him from Iceland? I do. It's his great-grandfather. Okay. He was an Irish playwright. He had multiple affairs. One of them was very scandalous and resulted in two children. Huh. And towards the end of his life, he harassed the woman he loved and promised to haunt her after he died. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Emily, Sheridan? did you put? Yes, Richard Brinsley Sheridan turns out was Lord Dufferin's great grandfather. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I literally I found it out looking at Richard Sheridan. I was like, huh? One of his relatives is Blackwood. That can't that can't be right. <laughs> And it was like Hamilton, Templeton, Blackwood. It's oh my God. Lord Dufferin. <laughs> That's so funny. All right. This famous person is Mary Alsop King Waddington's mm -hmm. first cousin, once removed stepdaughter. Okay. We, we are reaching. <laughs> We're reaching. I mean, <laughs> like lengthwise, it's not that far away. But relationship-wise, they're not actually blood related. But it's sure. fun. So this woman is an American author. She was a famous abolitionist. She was known to have pressured Abraham Lincoln on emancipation. Oh. And she wrote the anti-slavery novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh, no. <laughs> Emily doesn't remember her name. I don't. <laughs> That's fine. I literally wouldn't have either. Oh. But the answer is Harriet Beecher Stowe. Harriet Beecher Stowe, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have conjured that name, but I definitely know it. By sight, yeah. Yes. So Mary's grandfather was one of the founding fathers of America, actually, a man named Rufus King. Ooh. And his sister, Paulina, married a man named Dr. Aaron Porter. They had a daughter, Harriet. And Harriet married Reverend Lyman Beecher. Lyman Beecher. He was she was his second wife and became Harriet Beecher Stowe's stepmother when uh Harriet Beecher Stowe was just six years old. Wow. Well, and they fun. lived at the same time, Mary Alsop King Waddington and Harriet Beecher Stowe. Sure. So I I'm I imagine there's a possibility they had some form of communication. Do you imagine they called each other on the telephone? <laughs> they called each other on the telephone and said, Would you believe I have no bars out here in the middle of Philadelphia? <laughs> I couldn't tell you about the last Swanier dinner I just had. <laughs> the Archduke of France and Marichal Macmont. You wouldn't believe the drama. <laughs> drama. 
Swanye relations, Emily. Swanye. And I'm not talking about a beach of swans, We're, which no. I assume is what Normandy looked like at the Battle of Normandy, uh, with Normandy <laughs> Rockefeller present. <laughs> All right, Kyle, before we lose all our listeners on these yeah, ramblings, let's remind them that they can find Butter No Parsnips all over social media. We are on Facebook and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. And if you like today's episode, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. Yes, what a coherent sentence, Kyle. <laughs> it was um, really good. First take. And if you really like today's episode, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Donating $5 or more earns you a little shout out either on social media or here on the podcast. So we'd like to give thanks to Heather B. Monica of Tot Music. Lori M. Pensive Primate. Day D. And Rob R. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, thanks for helping us what we make. With that, I've been... Kyle, <laughs> you did it again. <laughs> what? You said, thanks for helping us what we make. <laughs> Thank you it's the, all. It's the freaking protein cheesecake. <laughs> Thank you for helping us make what we make. And with that, I've been Kyle. And I've been Emily. And this has been Butter No Parsnips. Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash buttermoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.